Greetings. Welcome to the Thinking Spatially podcast series, where we think spatially about the Earth, everything that's in it, and beyond. Joseph Kursky here, your host, geographer and educator. Today's installment is about cross-staffs, astrolabes, and other devices, determining positions on the planet. Cross-staffs, astrolabes, and other devices, determining positions on the planet. Accurately determining the location of things and phenomena, as well as one's own position on the planet, is fundamental to geography. Today's mapping tools, satellite imagery, GPS, and geographic information systems, or GIS technologies, make it easy to overlook the fact that determining one's exact location on the planet was, until just a few years ago, a long and arduous process. Part of the challenge has always been because latitude and longitude are more than numbers. They are angles, measured in degrees, and they are measured off an object much larger than ourselves, the Earth. Compounding the problem is that the Earth rapidly rotates on its axis at the rate of 15 degrees per hour. Furthermore, planet Earth is not a perfect sphere, but rather an oblate spheroid wider around the equator than it is around the poles. In addition, the Earth contains numerous anomalies, wrinkles and bulges, on and under the surface. Even the Earth's magnetic poles do not sit exactly underneath the North and South Poles, far from it in fact, and they are continually moving. For these and other reasons, determining the latitude and longitude of an object, phenomenon or event, is to sub, to sub centimeter accuracy did not happen overnight. It didn't suddenly occur with the advent of computer-driven technologies either. Rather, it became possible through a series of inventions, each of which was a revolution in geography. Long ago in the 3rd century BCE, Eratosthenes first proposed a system of latitude and longitude for a map of the world. Hipparchus was the first to use this system to uniquely refer to places on the Earth. Latitude and longitude evolved as an agreed-upon method of referring to Earth's locations, enhanced over the centuries and with improvements in measuring devices and by the International Meridian Conference of 1884, when the location of the prime meridian was agreed upon by the major powers of the world. The oldest clock is the Earth itself, turning as it does on its axis every day, and thus the oldest means of keeping time and location came from observing changes in the sky because of the rotating Earth. For many centuries, determining one's latitude was done by means of determining the angle above the horizon of the sun, or another known star. Before measuring, the sun or star's declination was looked up in an almanac. The sun had to be measured at solar noon when it was highest in the sky, and other stars had to be measured when they were on the same meridian as the person doing the measuring. That is, the positions had to be noted when they were due north or south of the person's position. Then, one's latitude could be determined by simply taking 90 degrees minus the measured altitude plus the looked-up declination. Thus, these measurements were dependent on, in part, on almanacs. Early almanacs, besides containing events, also contained horoscopes and other means by which the future could supposedly be predicted. However, 
Solomon Jarchus, J-A-R-C-H-U-S, in 1150, and those who followed began to create the first modern almanacs based on scientific observations. Modern almanacs could rightly be considered a revolution in geography, for they grew to include information about weather and climate, which was very helpful for farming, and most critical for navigation, the position of the sun, planets, and stars, which were critical, again, for navigation. Though the almanacs contained some inaccuracies, they improved over time. On land, referring to things in their relative positions suited most everyday use. However, for ships at sea, without the convenience of known landmarks, determining one's location was even more important than for those on land. In the northern hemisphere, the star Polaris, or the North Star, positioned above the North Pole, remained a useful nighttime navigation tool. With the advent of dependable celestial positions recorded in almanacs, measuring the angles was therefore the trickiest part of the operation. This was done through a variety of instruments, but the quadrant, the cross staff, and the mariner's astrolabe were for centuries the most heavily used. The back staff may have originated with Thomas Harriot, English astronomer, mathematician, ethnographer, and translator during the late 1500s. It was developed further by English explorer Captain John Davis in 1594. Its name came from the way it was used. The user turned his back on the sun. Holding the instrument in front with the sun at one's back, one held the instrument so that the shadow cast by the instrument's shadow vein fell on the horizon vein at the side of a slit in the instrument. One then moved from this sight vein so that one observed the horizon in the line while maintaining the position of the shadow, permitting the reading of the angle between the horizon and the sun, as the sum of the angle read from the two arcs. Improvement on this instrument included the demicross, or demicross, the almucantar staff, the plow, and various forms of quadrants. From about 1350 to 1600, the cross staff was also used. The cross staff was a piece of wood, one piece was the staff, and attached at its middle was a perpendicular cross piece, able to slide up and down along it, in the manner of a mid-20th century slide rule. A cross staff could measure the angle between the directions of two stars, or measure the angle of the noontime sun above the horizon, which allowed people to estimate their latitude. For many centuries, from about 400 to about 1600, the astrolabe was also heavily used to determine the time of sunrise or sunset at one's location, or the position of the stars and planets. The most popular type was a planispheric astrolabe, on which the celestial sphere was projected onto the plane of the equator. Most were made of brass, with some up to 6 inches or 15 centimeters in diameter. But an, a mariner's astrolabe, used heavily from the late 1400s through the 1500s, was used to determine one's latitude on the Earth. One did so by determining the position above the horizon of the sun or another star of known declination, or the angle above the horizon, using a brass ring graduated in degrees with a rotating alidade for sighting the sun or star. However, it was seldom that simple, <laughs> due to waves on ships making it difficult to measure, cloud cover, and difficulty in reading the instrument itself. Still, for its time, the instrument was a tremendous leap forward in terms of determining latitude. Another major development, the sextant, uses adjustable mirrors to measure the exact angle of the stars, moon, and sun above the horizon. 
Its name derived from a Latin word for one-sixth because the curved frame of the sextant represented one-sixth of a circle. From the measured angles and an almanac indicating the position of these objects at different times of the year and for different latitudes, ship captains could determine their latitude in clear weather, day or night. Around 1730, John Hadley and Thomas Godfrey laid out the principles of the sextant, though later the principles were also found in earlier unpublished writings of Isaac Newton, 1643 to 1727. More recently, scholars, Whaley Cohen 1999 documenting, have pointed out that navigational instruments were simultaneously advancing in, in China as well. Unlike the backstaff, the sextant permitted stars to be observed as well as the sun. Since it measured relative angles, it did not need to be held completely steady. These devices also used a vernier scale, which allowed the user to measure more precisely than could be done unaided when reading a uniformly divided straight or circular measurement scale. The vernier scale indicates where the measurement lies in between two of the marks on the main scale and were used on sextants and on other mapping, measuring, and surveying devices. Sextants were widely used until rather recently. Charles Lindbergh, for example, used a bubble sextant on his record-breaking flights across the oceans. Radio navigation was developed during and after World War II, followed by GPS beginning in the 1980s, through to today's Global Navigation Satellite Systems, or GNSS. The magnetic compass was another major revolution in geography. The compass needle proved to be more accurate than sighting angles on a wood or brass instrument and conveniently points to the north magnetic pole in the northern hemisphere or the south magnetic pole in the southern hemisphere. The compass thus provided the heading or the direction in which a ship was traveling and could be used to determine where the ship should be traveling. Mariner's maps in the golden age of exploration often showed the headings between key ports and these heading charts and maps were therefore understandably jealously guarded by their owners and their nations. All of these instruments provided a gradual improvement in the ability to determine one's latitude. Determining one's correct longitude, or current longitude, proved to be a much more vexing problem. Ship crews for many years sailed near coastlines to be within sight of known landmarks. When they began to sail more frequently out into the open ocean, they used a variety of techniques, such as observing ocean currents, clouds, birds, and others. As navigation instruments improved in their accuracy, crews and captains became emboldened to explore longer and farther, improving the knowledge of cultural and physical geography, and that knowledge became recorded in notes, books, and maps. Still, often, ships would navigate to their desired latitude while repeatedly checking the instruments. At that chosen latitude, they attempted to steer due east or west, depending on their destination. While this method of sailing first to the desired latitude and then sailing to the desired longitude required more time than steering directly to a desired destination along a single straight line, it was often necessary because determining longitude proved to be much more difficult than determining latitude. Determining longitude act accurately was not achievable with any of the devices described in this podcast, but only became possible after the mid-1700s upon the invention of an accurate shipboard clock by John Harrison. And for that, see my other podcast about Harrison's clock. Even in modern times, navigation and guidance systems have sometimes gone wrong, 
Amelia Earhart's final flight and the failure of the Mariner 1 spacecraft are notable such failures. And stories of people driving off cliffs or onto lakes and into lakes by following errant GPS instructions fill current news bulletins. But the development of navigational methods and devices gave rise to mapping and exploration and provide the basis for the division of land use, the development of transportation systems, and other critical components of modern societies. Through these developments, they have had long-standing influence on the cultural geography of the planet, and conversely, the development of geographic content and tools has influenced the development of these navigational aids. Thank you for listening to this podcast on cross staffs, astrolabes, and other devices, determining positions on the planet. Joseph Kursky here with you on this Thinking Spatially podcast, wishing you all a very spatial day. Thanks. Thank <laughs> you.